Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. This is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. We're glad to be back with you today, opening up God's Word, studying a little bit more, digging a little bit deeper, trying to grow in our knowledge of God's Word and thereby grow in our faith in God. Since faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17, it is really imperative that we stay in God's Word on a consistent, regular basis, that we don't just think about, oh, I believe in God, but we study his word. We get into it diligently, as the Apostle Paul instructed in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, be diligent to present yourself approved unto God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing or correctly handling the word of truth. And that's God's word. We need to be students of God's word on an ongoing basis. Now, We encourage you to encourage others to listen to this program, and we also offer always that you can receive a copy of today's program on CD by simply going to our website at churchofchrist.com, clicking on the email link and asking for it, or you can call us at 402-498-8397. And you can receive a free copy on CD anytime. And when we say free, we mean exactly that. We're not looking for your wallet. We're trying to help people get to heaven. You can also go to our website at churchofchrist.com. And you can do something more. You can scroll down the home page to our podcast button. Click on that and sign up for our podcasting. Now, once again, it is free. It always will be free. And when you do that, you will automatically receive to your smart device, whether that's your smartphone, your computer, laptop, pad, tablet, whatever it might be, you will receive all of our radio programs, Search the Scripture, every day, five days a week. You'll also receive a great short, about a 13-minute daily Bible class that we call Today's Bible Class, seven days a week. You'll receive all of our sermons and... Also, a Sunday morning Bible class and a Wednesday night Bible class. All of that will be free. We encourage you to, and it will always be free. Not just free right now, initially. Not an introductory offer, but it will always be free. On our website at churchofchrist.com, you can also download hundreds of sermons. Many of those are now listed are posted in video format as well as audio format, and you can also download, study, through, read, and grow spiritually through hundreds of spiritually-based, scripturally-oriented articles. Well, all of that, again, it's always there, and it's there for your using. We encourage you, if you're in the Omaha area, to come and visit with us, study with us, worship with us, grow spiritually with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street in Omaha. Our Bible classes begin every Sunday morning at 930, worship service at 1030. Wednesday night Bible classes begin at 630 every Wednesday evening. We encourage you to encourage everybody you can to listen to these programs. Also, to go to our website and sign up for our podcasting. How great it is to have the medium of the internet to be able to, on more of a widespread basis, and perhaps even we would say easier to distribute God's Word. Be able to access it 
on such a ready basis to fit your schedule so that if you're podcasting with us, you can listen anytime you have the opportunity. Take advantage of it and encourage everyone you can to take advantage of it as well. At the Sunny Slope Church of Christ, we simply try to be the church that we all read about in the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. If you want to learn God's Word, come and study with us at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. We're going to get into the next segment or section, however you want to look at it, of our study that we have been looking at, talking about the existence of God. Does it make sense to believe in God? Well, in our first section, we talked about the reality of morality. Now, kind of a interesting and, and quippy little phrase there, the reality of morality. Well, what we're talking about is the reality that there is a basic moral code that we all basically agree with and understand. Now, we may disagree different individuals as to some particular features of our human lives that fall within morality or immorality, but there's some basic standards that we all agree on. No, those, those are, are moral, and to violate those are immoral, such as murder. We understand murder is immoral. We understand that stealing is immoral. And for the most part, we would probably, almost all of us agree, yeah, lying is also immoral. Well, and there are some other, uh, other specifics that we would pretty much all agree on. Those are moral, and to violate those standards is immorality. Now, for morality to exist, there has to be a moral lawgiver. And we went into considerable depth demonstrating that that moral lawgiver is God. And without God, there is no standard of morality. Because that would then be left up to us as individual human beings, and we're all over the place all the time. Change our minds and things with the wind, and so one person's attitude on morality would be different from the next person's, and that person's different from the next person, and so on, and so on, and so on, on down the line. And again, as time goes on, we would change our minds on what we would consider moral and immoral. But there's a standard. There's a basic standard, and that standard is the moral law. And for moral law to exist, there has to be a moral lawgiver. It cannot be government either, because again, all you have to do is go from city to city or state to state in our nation, let alone from country to country around the world, and there are different standards of morality that are written into law codes by those different government uh, establishments. So again, it's all over the place whenever it is left up to mankind on his own. But there is that basic standard of morality that we recognize and accept. We admit that it's there. For that to exist, moral law, there has to be a moral law giver. A moral law giver who is consistent all of the time. And that is God. As we demonstrated thoroughly and in a detailed fashion as we studied through God's word on that particular subject. Well, we're going to follow up in a natural kind of way in this section of our study on the existence of God, and we're going to be talking about goodness. 
Now, morality certainly is based in goodness, but goodness goes beyond just the idea of morality. They certainly are sisters or brothers, if you want to look at it that way, in, in, in subject matter. They, they go together. But goodness is broader than just the idea of morality. The very idea of goodness, the principle of goodness, the concept of goodness, where does that come from? How do we understand it? How do we define it? Well, James in James chapter 1 and verse 17 said, every perfect, every good gift and every perfect gift, now notice, every good gift, every good gift, and every perfect gift, what is the idea of perfection? Well, it is goodness personified, isn't it? Goodness to the extreme level, perfection, absolute goodness. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So James says, everything that is truly good is a blessing from God. It comes down from God. It becomes a part of the human conscience or the human existence because God sent it to us or God blessed us with it. Now, we're not talking about what we might consider to be subjective goodness because that's all over the place again. I think peanut butter is really good. Well, some people cannot eat peanut butter or some people do not eat peanut butter because they don't think it's good. Some people might think Brussels sprouts are really horrible, but if they're prepared right, I think they're really good. <laughs> so you see what I'm talking about. Some people do not eat meat. They don't think that's a good thing for them to eat. Other people, they cannot imagine a diet for themselves without meat being a substantial part of it. See, so when we're thinking about just subjective goodness, goodness, what I feel is good, what I think is good, what I consider to be good, well, that's, again, that's totally dependent on the individual thinking of the individual human being. But there, is, there are standards, again, a foundational level of goodness that we all recognize and basically all of us accept. But there can be no standard of true goodness without God. How do you define goodness again? A definition that we can hang our hats on, that we can have confidence in? It's spelled G-O-D, God. God is the standard of goodness. Now, God is only authoritative, is the only authoritative standard for determining true goodness. When we speak of goodness, it's usually, most of the time, we're talking, as I just indicated, subjectively. Good food, good weather, good jobs, that's a good person over there. Well, why? Well, because I think that's a good person. Why do I think that's a good job? You know, there are people who, they really love their job. They think this is a good job, and somebody else comes along and they say, I wouldn't work there, I wouldn't work that job for anything. But you see, that's subjective determination of goodness, what I think is good, what feels good to me, what I like personally, individually. So subjective goodness, that's 
again, on a different level of what we can hang our hat on and have absolute confidence in as being consistently good. Consistently good. We usually mean when we're talking about subjective goodness, we're thinking about, well, that seems good to me. That feels good to me. I like that, so I pronounce it good. But somebody else, or even I myself at a later time in my life, may feel completely different about what I pronounce to be good right now. Someone else might say, I don't think that's good at all. Later on in our life, we might say, I used to think that was good, but I, I don't think so anymore. Well, again, we're talking about subjective goodness, based on feelings, personal feelings. And different people have different personal feelings about specific things. Their feelings also keep changing with time. There was a period of time in my life when there were certain foods that (laughs) I would not eat those foods. I, I was a young kid. They didn't look good to me. I didn't think they tasted good. I was not going to eat them. Now, most of those foods, you know what? I eat them and I like them. I think they're good. Well, our personal feelings change, don't we? With time. That's subjective goodness again. But that basic standard of consistent goodness, that has to come from some standard giver. And the only one we can point to and have absolute confidence in is God. God does not change. True goodness has to be based on objective standards that are constant. Objective standards that are constant, consistent. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 2, as Hannah was beginning her prayer to God, She said, no one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Well, Hannah hit it right on the head. No wonder it's recorded in inspired scripture as being God's word. No one is holy like God. There is none, no one, no thing besides God when it comes to to basic holiness, goodness, nor is there any rock like our God. God stands alone. There is no human being who compares to God for good, in, in, in terms of goodness or morality. God is the authority for establishing true goodness because God is always, always good. What God pronounces to be good can be trusted to be genuinely good. And God's word gives us objective standards to confidently determine true goodness and thereby live by that standard, understanding the difference between what somebody just thinks is good or feels is good or says is good at that particular moment in time and what we can have absolute confidence in as being constantly, consistently good. What God declares to be good is good all the time. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 17, 
And we're going to look there beyond just verse 17. We're going to read that particular context of Scripture. It's an account of a young man who comes to Jesus. Beginning with verse 16, Behold, one came and said to him, that is, came to Jesus and said to him, Good teacher, good teacher. Interesting. He speaks to Jesus and he identifies him as being good the good teacher. What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Jesus's response is interesting. So he, that is Jesus, said to him, why do you call me good? Now, it's interesting He says, no one is good, but one that is God. That may be something of a play on words on the part of our Lord, because there was a kind of a saying in that particular time among the Jews, I believe it was, in that culture of that day, that identified God as the good the good. Who is the good? God. And so Jesus may be using something of a play on words here when he responds to the young man who is referred to him as good teacher and asking him what good thing should he do that he might have eternal life. Jesus says, are you calling me good? Why do you call me good? There's only one who is good. That is God. Well, of course, Jesus came in human form as the Savior And he identified himself as being God the Son, the Messiah, which had been prophesied in Scripture, Old Testament Scripture, for hundreds and hundreds of years. Are you identifying me? Are you recognizing me as being God? God the Son? Interesting. That's an interesting understanding and possibility of how Jesus responded, why he responded in that way. Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Now, look at that statement, though. No one is good but God. No one is good but God. See, again, the basic standard of goodness is God, Jesus says. He goes on and tells the young man, but if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He, that is the young man, said, which, which ones? And Jesus gave him a sampling of the original Ten Commandments. He said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? The young man said, I've kept all of these commandments from the time of my childhood. What do I still lack? Now, maybe he recognized in his coming to Jesus, approaching him and asking him, what good thing shall I do or must I do to have eternal life, that something was lacking. And yet when Jesus said, keep the commandments, and then gave him a sampling of the commandments, the young man said, I've kept these all my life, basically. But he still said, what do I still lack? 
So maybe inherently in his mind, he recognized something was missing from his life. There was something else that he needed to be doing or focusing upon. Well, Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now it's interesting that, of course, Jesus being fully human while he was on this earth, he was also fully divine. He understood the young man's thinkings. He understood the young man's values without the young man even telling him. And so he said, okay, if you, if you really want to get there, if you really want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, come follow me. What was the response of the young man? The young man, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Undoubtedly, Jesus knew where his first priority was. Seemed to have been with his wealth. Because when Jesus said, if you would be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, come follow me, the young man became sorry. He walked away from Jesus because he had great possessions. Obviously, he was not ready to commit his life first and foremost to the Lord. His first commitment was to his wealth. But what did Jesus say again? Why do you call me good? There is one good. Now, we could phrase that in a different way. No one is good but one, except one. That is God. What are we talking about? There is no standard of goodness without God. Does true goodness exist within the framework of our minds and in this world? Of course it does. There is no, no one who is truly good except God. Completely, totally good. We make mistakes in our humanity. But all that we would look at and say, now that truly is goodness right there. God is the standard of true goodness. And we're talking about that is another from a perspective of logical reasoning evidence that God truly does exist. We'll look a little bit deeper next time. Let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for loving us so much and guiding us into goodness in our lives. Please help us to live lives of goodness and thereby glorify you. Please, Father, we pray, forgive us of our sins Help us to be truly good in Christ and through you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.